Hello and welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. I'm Dr. Squee. This is my show. We have got a really great uh, episode for you this week. We've got two guests and it's Jennifer Edwards and Leslie Ash. These were recorded in the same uh, uh, the same event as I recorded the interview with the late, great Tim Brooke Taylor, which was our first episode. So it was recorded uh, back in February. And uh, I just hadn't got around to putting this up until now. And I realised that these have been on the back burner for a while, so I'm very pleased to be sharing them with you now. And uh, please, if uh, this was these were recorded at the Sci-Fi Ball, if you're into all things sci-fi and you're around the Southampton area, or even if you want to trans, uh, travel down for a fantastic event, please book your tickets now for Sci-Fi Ball. You can go to their website. Obviously, with everything that's been going on with the pandemic, please support your cons as much as you're able to uh, in the year to come because they're, they're going to need the help. Uh, I think Sci-Fi Ball's probably been pretty lucky with the timing of it being in February. Hopefully, by next year, by the next event... Things are going to be back to normal. Uh, hopefully events are going to be able to get uh, capacity uh, in again. But uh, please do support them. It's just scifiball.com. And uh, it was a wonderful event. We had a wonderful time talking to them. Two very different but uh, both very interesting guests. So first of all, we had Leslie Ash, who's uh, been the likes of Quadrophenia, uh, such a cult classic, and Men Paving Badly, which was a sitcom I grew up watching as well as uh, Holby City. Uh, she talks a bit about how she was typecast, and interestingly enough, she used that to her advantage in getting roles, and how uh, she she ended up with a really interesting career uh, because of that. But I think she's managed to do some interesting stuff with it. Uh, even if you are typecast as an actor, I think a really good actor such as her can uh, do some really great stuff within that and then build from that typecasting into some interesting roles. Uh, so so we had a lot of fun talking about that. And then we talked to Jennifer Edwards, who is the daughter of, of astounding uh, director Blake Edwards. And uh, she really, you can tell she's old school Hollywood because she's just got so many wonderful stories. And the way she talks about uh, being around her father, working with Ron Howard, uh, when he was a fledgling director, uh, if you can just just believe that that was ever a thing, it just seems really weird to think of him as not being the uh, established wonderful director that he is now. And uh, she talks a bit about working the next generation, uh, and it was it was absolutely great. You'll hear in this interview, uh, she she was saying she was worried about how she'd look in the uh, form fitting outfits in the next generation, and. Um, I, I was on a bound uh, as by her request to say how lovely her ass looked in that role and as it does in real life I can attest to as well uh, it's really funny because uh, Nicola my fiance was in the room with us uh, so we had a bit of a giggle about that uh, but it, it was absolutely wonderful she's worked with everyone though she's uh, worked with Ted Danson and she's worked with uh, with Burt Reynolds back in the day and um, she's also a writer herself it was just one of those really great interviews where afterwards I felt I'd le learnt a lot from that. Both just such wonderful and very motivational people to speak to. I felt really great, great about these ones. It kind of reminded me why I started doing these, this interview show. Like, you know, I used to do a, a sci-fi podcast and that was great. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad I did it. 
but to have the conversations which I'm able to have with uh, actors, with uh, we've had sports stars, writers, and and all sorts of people that I may not have got from the other show has been a real privilege. And I think this is a great example of this. I, I really hope you guys enjoy this and uh, please enjoy this week's show. Uh, just very quickly before we get into this this week's show, uh, please do continue to follow us uh, on uh, social media. So. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at Dr. Squee. Uh, you can subscribe to us on any podcast app. If you're just uh, listening to this episode, uh, maybe from our website, please do subscribe. We want to build up those subscribers. They're starting to kind of like pick up a bit. Uh, these are two which you won't get on video as well. Uh, you know, a lot of our hits which we're getting have been on the videos and then the podcast may be a little less, but we're starting to build that audience. Um, but you, you obviously you cannot hear these interviews and there are some interviews which we did which were just on audio if we go out live to events we can't always do videos so to get all these wonderful uh, conversations we've had you really have to subscribe to the podcast and uh, we, we want listeners as well as viewers you know it's all good but uh, I want to exist across all these different platforms we're just about to kind of like uh, look into doing some shows on Twitch which is another new thing uh, again at Dr. Squee on there so um yeah thank you for everyone who's been listening we're we're still like a young show i think this is episode um eight or nine something like that and uh it's it's been a really interesting journey i'm really enjoying this uh really enjoying feeling like kind of uh very g'd up by doing something new so uh, thank you for following me on that journey if indeed you have been and if you're listening to this later thank you for catching up Okay, though, without further ado, we're going to go over to my interviews. Uh, but uh, just to uh, give you a pre-warning, during these interviews, uh, this was in the Grand Harbour Hotel when they ha- where they had the event uh, they have for the last few years. And uh, there was a kind of like a, a mini kind of hurricane going on outside. It was battering down with rain, loads of wind. And the front of this hotel is just glass. It, uh, so... Uh, there's kind of a bit of background noise it's not overwhelming to the interview but just in case you hear what sounds like a really noisy hoover going on in the background that's why it just kind of like whips up every now and again it's mostly in the jennifer edwards interview uh as i say it doesn't really affect uh, the sound quality of the interview but you just hear it in the background and we refer to it a few times ironically i make a joke about uh we're in a in a, an apocalypse as that's happening ha huh. Little did I know what was coming around the corner, because uh, this was recorded pre-COVID. Um, so, a uh, bit, of, bit of an unusual one, but uh, please enjoy this week's interviews with Leslie Ash and Jennifer Edwards. Welcome to the show, with your friend and mine. So tell me, Dr. Squee, who's it gonna be this time? We like to hear you talk, and we love to hear you listen. Are not subscribed, you won't know what you're missing. So, welcome to the Dark Dusk We Show. Welcome to the Dark Dusk We Show. Welcome to the Dark Dusk We Show. Headphones up. Here we go. Welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. Tonight, Squee welcomes. Leslie Ash, Jennifer Edwards, and now here's the man himself, Dr. Squee. Have you come far today? Um, I've come from Fulham. 
which is uh, and to be honest we got here so quickly it's lovely you know saturday morning uh, no one on the road and then i fell asleep <laughs> so uh, suddenly we were here nice. um, but yeah no it was great definitely a way to travel mm. uh i'd like to start by talking about quadrophenia of course yeah uh, yeah just it's such a weird and wonderful film i wonder how it sort of appeared on the script when you first saw it Yes. When when I auditioned for it, first of all, you didn't get the entire script. You never, okay. ever get the entire script. What you do is you get pages of the, the, the scenes that you're going to do in a screen test. So, I mean, I was delighted when I got asked to do the, um, the screen test and went down to Shepparton, I think it was, and did the screen test. And then afterwards they were saying, oh, yes, we think you're going to get a call back. This is the process you have to go. And uh, so then they did give me the full script and I was quite disappointed because there was an enormous nude scene in it. <clears throat> and I'd never done a nude scene and I had no intention of doing a nude scene. <laughs> and um, so I said, look, thank you very much for asking me, but um, there's just no way I would do a nude scene. So, um, yeah, I suppose that's, that's it really. And to my surprise, they changed it. They, they took out the nude scene and put the alley scene in. Okay. So, um, and where I was fully clothed. Yeah. And at the, really, I think that's one of the best things they did because I think the um, the actual riot scenes that we did, which we did on the first, very, very first day of filming, that that's would happen in real life, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, it's turned out to be one of the, the famous love scenes in, in, a, in a movie, you know, so I'm quite proud of it, really, in a strange sort of way. <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like they're very respectful of, mm. you know, because you're all very young actors at the time. Yeah, They were very respectful of We you. were all very young, we were all very unknown, and the good thing Frank Rodham, the director, did was he got us together for about three months beforehand, before shooting. And so it, was, it wasn't really a rehearsal, it was basically to get us together as a sort of like a, a gang, if you like, you know, yeah. you got to know each other's um, personalities. And, you know, I thought that was a fantastic idea because normally you can walk on set and you don't know any actors and then you're thrown into a scene. It's actually quite difficult. And by the end of the film, you really would like to do, go back and do that scene again yeah. when you actually know everyone. Because we were meant to be all really, really good friends, possibly even school friends. Uh, so he was really keen on giving us backstories and things like that. So um, it was it was a really nice experience. Because it does seem very kind of like uh, I, I always think it's really brave. Like that film's a character piece. Yes. Like you know, the, the, if you take it as a story, the plot it isn't the plot that drives it. It's the kind of story of these people that yes. that moment in time. Mm. So it seems really important that you had that relationship. Down. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, to be. Uh, to come from an album um, was quite amazing. You know, Pete Townsend's music I, I do love, you know, is almost classical in a way. Um, it's, a, it's almost like an opera mm. in, a, in a way. And um, so it's, it's all about teenage angst. And I think it doesn't matter, you know, what generation you go through, you will always have the same teenage angst and how, how you cope with that. And uh, Jimmy was just an amazing character. Have, to have four personalities and yeah. they say each personality was obviously a member of the who he had a mad right. side a romantic side and, and so forth which um 
was a lovely story, fantastic story. But yeah. uh, to be kicked out of this home and and you know just to be on those sort of drugs and alcohol and partying. I mean, you still get it in every generation. Yeah, they're the punks. You know, there is this sort of like anger in youth, and we've got it now. Yeah, I mean, so I find that really incredible about the film. We watched it back last night to kind of get a impression of memories. Yes. And it's just about how it's so specifically about the mod scene, but there's so much anyone can take from it. Like, I grew mm. up like listening to heavy metal and rock music. There's something so relatable about yeah. the, the whole setup of it. Uh, for you, like, did you know a lot about the kind of mod scene and what it was like to just well, bed yourself into a world like that? I thought, I, because originally I was, I was modelling, I was a teenage modeller, so I was obsessed with clothes. So uh, the mods for me were were great because they were obsessed with clothes, you know, and the men used to dress so well. And I remember my father had had this sort of like modish sort of fashion thing going on uh, where he would get his suits. They had to be absolutely perfect, a certain amount of buttons. The vents at the back had to be so many, four inches long, I think. Um, and to watch my dad get ready to go out was was lovely. He was like, looked amazing. And yeah. that's what I loved about the mods is that the guys, especially, they were smart. They were sharp. <laughs> the way they dressed, they were really sharp. Yeah, it's a nice pageantry about it, really. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you're probably, it's, having worked in modelling as well, some kind of uniquely placed answers, really. But, like, what do you think about, uh, like, some of the stuff it seems like that's in Quadrophenia? I don't know if you could get away with today. Uh, and I'm guessing working as a model as well, there's probably some stuff which you did then, which, like, you know, in the modelling world would be done, which wouldn't be with younger people. What, what do you think the kind of changes? You... Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> when, you, when you watch the film, you know, there's, there's, it, there's, it can be sexist, it can be racist, there's only one black person, Trevor Laird, in, in the entire film, really. Yeah. Um, oh, and there might be... His father, is it? I think, pops up in it, but um, that's the way it was in those days. Yeah. Um, it wasn't too long ago, uh, too long after that, in the sixties and sixty-four, which is where it's based, that um, the Windrush um, people came over. You know, so I mean, uh, this is what it was like. It was fairly sexist as well. I mean, women used to sort of when they left school, they either became a secretary or they became a mum really there wasn't a lot of work for women out there it was a real sort of like the beginning of of women's lib I remember when they all went off and burnt their bras and stuff like that <laughs> yeah. women's liberation and my mum you know she, she was like uh, she thought she was being liberated but in fact no she wasn't she was she was just mum at home <laughs> yeah and do you think like in films they should just be able to go where they need to for a story or, you know, how, how much do you think there should be difference to kind of like... I think PC it's good for people, I think it's good for young people to know what it was like because yeah. I think we're living in a great age now when the, when people are aware of sexism and, and racism and, and, you know, we're doing something about it. You can't say certain things, you know, in the workplace that you, you would have got away with and... and you know, so these things have have come so far. I think it's really difficult to go back to things that happened in the sixties and you know, sort of torture people for yeah. for sort of doing that because 
that's the way it was. They were learning, you know, not to be like that. You know, we've only just learned not to be like that. We've only just learned to respect women and, and to see that they're strong, to see that they can hold down really fantastic jobs. They could be chairwoman of a big company, you know, ceilings are being, glass ceilings are being broken. So we're living in a very, very good time. But I think it's good to let young girls and young guys know um, what it used to be like, what their grandparents probably had to go through. Yeah, totally. With the reaction from Quadrophenia, obviously it's like huge cult now. Was that reaction quite instant or is it kind of, has it built up over the years? It, 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 the, when the film first came out, it wasn't a major success. It was only mm. when, um, when, it, when the director did another cut of it and uh, with the, when the punk came out, when punks sort of like came out, then it became this real sort of cult. So it, it's, and it's just grown. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to see young people now really enjoying watching the film. Um, because, I mean, I've always loved the Who's music anyway. But I listened to Quadrophenia, I listened to the soundtrack of Quadrophenia a lot. Um, I, I really do like it. I, I love the music. That's great. And uh, last, it would be last year now, you uh, met up with a lot of the cast at CovCon. Mm. It was a big meet-up there. Yeah. And you guys kept in touch over the years. What was it like to kind of have that big reunion? It was amazing because it was... It's the fortieth anniversary, and um, yeah. I had to get my head around that you know, <laughs> yeah. first of all. Um, and when Sky wanted to do a, a, a documentary, we thought, "Oh, how nice!" You know, so they, we did these sort of documentary where we all st- stood there like this and asked questions and telling little stories about what happened. You know, filming, and um, it was so nice to bump into Toya and Mark Wingett and Gary Shale, and I had not seen them really since the day we finished filming so we've all sort of we were like we went from like school friends to we've all had a life you know we've had marriages we've had kids you know we've had careers and what's interesting is that lineup that that wonderful lineup that was the poster every single one of those people in that has had a fantastic career and is still working, you know. So that's, and so that's, fantastically different careers as yeah, well, really strong. Yeah, really strong, but we're all still going. And it's, it's almost like a, a school reunion. But um, the, the when we did the round table um, for Sky, where we were reading bits of the script, that was really strange because I, I tended just to do it exactly the way I did it in the film. <laughs> just, it was just kind of falling back. Yeah, bizarre. Think. Uh, the other one I wanted to talk about was Men Behaving Badly. I yeah. love that show still to this day. I think it's one which uh, I think some people miss how clever it is. It kind of got dismissed by some people. Uh, but like uh, I, I'm reminded of the fact that on the first series was on ITV, and you know, I know. it didn't get the greatest viewership as I remember. And then no. what do you think was that BBC saw in it to kind of take it off from there? Yeah, I think I think um, Harry Enfield was uh, it was Martin Harry Enfield. Mm. Caroline Quentin and myself, and I, I think, and I think Harry would admit Harry's really good at doing his own stuff, uh, but he didn't particularly like doing some other, you know, another writer's stuff. But, and um, it's it was a bit like the first series was a bit like the Harry Enfield show, really. Um, I mean, I loved working with Harry, and I've worked with him since, and he's he's just absolutely lovely. Oh, yeah, yeah. But for for me, I think it worked better with Neil. 
because it was about the four of us. And Martin and Neil had this fantastic relationship, you know, that they got on so well. And the two characters just, you know, got on really well. And, and Caroline's character, my, my character, got on really well. We became a foursome, you know, which was, which was good. And, uh, I mean, I never got any funny lines. I was always teeing people up to get the great laugh. But, yeah. you know... That was a fantastic job. We enjoyed doing it so much. I mean, it's like what I was saying about the, how clever it was because I think it's like it uh, did sort of celebrate Laddam and you know, yes. uh, more as it went on, it kind of got into your own. Caroline kind of had a double act in mm. it. Uh, but it was kind of like it also took the piss out of that so wonderfully as exactly. well. Exactly. And, and that, the, that was the point. When, we, when it first came out, everyone was saying, oh, it's sexist, you know, these guys, you know, talking about. Kylie Minogue's bum and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> sitting on their sofa with a glass of beer. But in fact, what it was doing was it was showing these guys what idiots they were, yeah. really. And Simon Nye, who wrote it, he, he wrote it from, you know, his sort of like student days, you know, when you used to get up in the morning and smell your socks and smell which ones were worse. These <laughs> ones, or these ones, I'll go with these ones, you know. And all these lovely little jokes he managed to get into men behaving badly. I'm just... When I first heard the title, I thought, what a ridiculous title. Men behave bad, it's too long. Now, you know, I went through life after that. Whatever I did, you know, if I went out in public and um, it would be boys behaving badly, um, car behaving badly if I broke yeah. down. You know, my whole life was ruled about something <laughs> behaving badly. So, um, obviously, people liked it. You said about, uh, you know, a lot of your lines were teeing up other part mm. characters. Well, did, did you think that got better as it went on? It, it seemed to from me. Um, well, I think it's very important. You, for, for me, you know, it's it's quite good being the straight girl. You know, I, yeah. I enjoyed it. But it was just such a laugh. From the moment we went, walked into the rehearsal studio and we used to have the read-through, I mean, it was just a joy. You know, we used to just laugh all the time and then you'd block it. And people would just be trying to think of the most idiotic jokes to put in, visual jokes to put in. And it was just, yeah, fantastic. It, of its time, was fantastic. And I, people still come to me and say, I remember Haven Badly was their favourite favorite comedy. And some people go... Yeah. When I, they say, oh, what have you been in? And I say, well, I was in a comedy called Men Behaving Badly. And they go, what? <laughs> They've not even heard of it. So I think what you back in the same way that kind of Quadrophenia is a timestamp on time it's said, you know, Men Behaving Badly, like it's mm. possibly unintentionally, but it's just, it is about the kind of 90s, early 2000s when it happened. Yeah. I yeah. It's wonderful. Uh, and you had a hit single off the back of it, of course, with Caroline. We did, yeah. It got to number 25. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which at the time was like, you know, now it's all about the top 10, yeah. but then it used to be about the top 40. Yeah, know. yeah it was great. I really enjoyed that. We went on a little mini tour as well. Not, not sing, you know, we just did sort of like went around the country trying to sell it really, basically, which was a, it was, that was fun as well. And did you, was, how did that come about? Or like, this well, they want, Neil and Martin did a boys behaving, uh, men behaving badly book. Mm. And um, it was all about all the funny little scenes in the series and, and you know, very in-jokes and, and quite risque. And they asked us, Caroline and I, did we want to do a book? And we just thought, you know, it just, it doesn't, it didn't really sort of sit well with us as a book sort of because it, it just made us look... <laughs> It, uh, 
sort of slutty. <laughs> right. So uh, we thought we both sang, we both done musicals. Let's do, let's do a single. So um, we just sort of run it up the flagpoles, waited to see if anyone saluted. It's <laughs> yeah, great yeah. fun. Uh, so getting on to just a few other credits, just to jump jump into. So two, you got to work with the two Ronnies. On I the did. Show. I mean, I've been blessed. I've done some fantastic work. Yeah. Two Ronnies, we did a spoof called Raiders of the Lost Orc. <laughs> and um, I spent most of my time with Ronnie, who, uh, Ronnie, Ronnie C, Ronnie Corbett, who was Indiana Jones. And then uh, Ronnie Barker was the baddie. Yeah, I, I spent most of my time running along a, a very, very high wall with Ronnie, only to find out that he had vertigo. So, um, yeah, that, that was great, great fun. That was big deal to be in the two Ronnies. My dad thought, you've made it now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I'm very struck by like how different all your jobs have been because it, it seems like, you, especially in time when you started, that was a time of really bad typecasting, like, mm. especially for women. Like, How did you manage to sort of, like, keep it that you were getting kind of fresh Yeah, I, I was totally typecast, which was, was good for me because, I saw, as I said, I came out of modelling. I was really interested in, in clothes. I also sort of had a short blonde haircut at one point, a bit punky, and then I got cast in in um, Cupid's Dart. That was the first thing I did where I played a darts groupie. So I, I, I was the two-go-to person if they wanted someone who was a bit edgy. And I did some great work, really good work, but uh, it was always the love interest, basically. I worked with Blake Edwards. I did a Pink Panther film. You know, that, yes. that was amazing. I mean, you can sit in a Winnebago for a week and not do anything, you know. I'm so used to working on small budget films and working really hard from 7 o'clock in the morning till 7 o'clock at night. And this, you, you get sent out to Nice to sit in a Winnebago for days. You just weren't used, you know, it was crazy. It's big budget films. Yeah. And of course, Hobby City, uh, you did for a series, Hobby City, it? Where the Heart Is... Um, yeah, um, Holby City was great. Yeah, that's the first thing I did with a stick. You know, after after two thousand and four, so it was the first um, part I played with a stick, um, and uh, so I was very very happy. I was only meant to do three months. I ended up doing seven months playing a nasty Vanessa Litton. I think her name was. Yeah. Was it difficult getting back into it, or did you, once you got in there, was it just? It was quite difficult because they. I was on this medication. And made it very difficult to learn lines, but with anything like Holby City, you have you get your line, you get your script for the next day, very very late in the evening, seven o'clock, just as you're leaving to go home. Outside your um, outside your um, dressing room is a little sleeve, and you you get your script and you take it home. By the time you get home, which is probably going to be about eight or nine o'clock at night, then you've got to learn all your lines for the next day. And it's a very well-oiled machine, everyone there. The more you learn lines, the better you are at it, I have to say, because your brain actually starts sort of like working for you. But if you haven't learned lines for a while, it can be quite difficult. Um, I always like to ask my guests for a little bit of advice, you know, just to get me better at what I do. So what, what would you say to like advice to someone to be t just tenacious in the face of adversity as you've been throughout your career? Um, I, th I think don't take yourself too seriously. I think it's always been a good one for me. Um, I don't like actors that take themselves seriously. It's a great job, but to be honest, you're, you're no different to the next person, and you should understand that. 
And as you're kind of like, um, obviously a very fickle business, how do you kind of like uh, keep making opportunities for yourself? Um, well, I'm, I've, I've actually just started, um, uh, we've just started developing a website actually. So I've got other things going on in my life as well, which is which is good. It started a website developing for authors to put their, take their books from their stories from book to screen. And so that's on a producing side of things, which is uh, I've been really enjoying seeing the business from that side as well. And I've been in it a long time now, so you know I, I know a lot of people. I know I, you know, and I'm very excited about that. Thank you so much, and thank you for coming to our city. I always love it when oh, people. No, come to, this is where I'm from, so it's uh, it's always lovely. Um, how do you find coming to my counter conventions? And well, things? I was just saying um, that the last time I was in Southampton, I think, uh, was when I was filming Cat's Eyes. Yeah. And uh, I was staying at the Polygon Hotel, and uh, we we yeah, now that is a long time ago, but um, no, it's lovely. It's lovely being by there. See. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you so much. No, you're Have welcome. A day and weekend. Yeah, you too. First of all, just just going through your uh, acting CV, the amount of different people you, you've worked with, the huge stars. Like yeah. uh, for you, is that one which kind of uh, is the one? You know, is the one that oh. you're able to work with. Um. You know, it, it, every, every, everybody is so different. Um, I mean, I think working with Ron Howard as a director was, was one of my favorite, yeah. you know, because he's, you know, we both grew up in the business as actors and all that, and, and um, it was his first um, real directing job. So he was just, he was very much like my dad in a lot. I mean, we, we're sort of, pretty much the same age but I mean the way my dad directs Ron Howard directs very similarly he loves actors and he's very um, you know um, generous and uh, giving and I so in terms of directing I loved working with Ron um, you know I had amazing experiences with so many people Howie Mandel and Ted Danson and I were just we were constantly getting into trouble doing terrible things to everybody and you know, Howie and I've set off firecrackers in Ted's motorhome one day, and then Ted and I poured dirt into Howie's bathroom in his trailer one day, and you know it was just silly things, stealing golf carts off the studio lot, and traveling to lunch one day in Culver <laughs> City in a golf cart. I mean, so you know, fun things like that. But working with James Garner was like one of probably one of the highlights of my life. He just uh, consummate. William Holden, William Holden was just uh, we would play cards in between scenes, and um, I known I known Bill Holden since I was about thirteen, and then working with him when I was twenty one, um, just amazing, consummate actor. Mm. You know he would know, <clears throat> for instance, uh, he would say to the the director of photography, um, okay, so um, what lens do you have on the camera? And the, you know DP would say, can you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's so. like, oh my God, the ambiance in here is insane. Um, uh, yeah, we, we are recording this interview in, a, in an in Armageddon, middle, so like in the middle of a hurricane. Background noise. Um, but um, 
Yeah, Holden was just, he, he would know how far he could actually move, how many steps he could take before he was out of frame. I mean, that's, I've never worked with, with an actor that yeah. was that, you know, aware and knowledgeable and, um, and of course, you know, I've, I've done several movies with my, my dad and he was, you know, the best in the world. I mean, he, you know, funny and everybody loved him and respected him and. So was it watching him work that drew you into it? No, um, it was actually, I was hired, um, you know, I, I, at 10 years old, I, I got the lead in, in, I played Heidi in the movie Heidi at 10 years old. I'd never done anything before. Somebody saw me on my dad's uh, set of The Party. He was shooting a movie called The Party and said, you know, they've been looking for Heidi, they've been auditioning all these girls around the world, and she looks like she could be good at it, even though I'd never done anything. And um, met the, with the director and screen tested, and the next thing, literally, well, like within a, within a week, I was on a plane to Switzerland, you know. So um, that's really where where the bug hit. Yeah, I'd never thought about. I mean, I think I thought I was going to be a veterinarian, you know, at ten years old, and never really. But, you know, I'm fourth generation, so in a, in a way it's typical that, you know, I would possibly go into that somewhere in, in the film industry, you know. Yeah. I mean, my brother, my brother became an editor and then a director, and, you know, he, didn't, he did not, he could have been a really, really good actor. I mean, he's, he's so funny and everything, but nah, didn't, didn't bite him at all. Yeah. Yeah. And just that first experience did it bite you then? <laughs> oh yeah, no. There. As soon as as soon as I stepped foot, uh, you know, on, I literally the first day I'm working opposite Sir Michael Redgrave, you know, and and um, yeah, having never done anything other than a ballet recital, um, and uh, yeah, I knew that's what I wanted to do the rest of my life. And write, I write as yeah. well. Yeah. Tell us a bit about your writing. Um, well, I've always written. I've, I've wrote songs and I wrote poetry from really early on. Stories. I was always really good at English, you know. I was, you know, um, this, and um, then I started writing screenplays in my late, uh, in my early twenties. And a couple years ago, I wrote a novel, which is, was published and has done really well. And. Um, you know, my dad. My dad, although he was a director, he always considered himself a writer first. He sure. wrote. He wrote radio shows and then started writing screenplays. And um, so I grew up around, you know, somebody who was really disciplined. And um, we would sometimes we'd sit around the dinner table, and he'd be, you know, often, you know, could see he was somewhere else, and the somebody would say at the table, "Dad's writing." And that's exactly what he'd be doing. He'd be working out a scene or, or something in his head. And you could just see it. He'd just sort of glaze over and and um, be working in his head all the time. And I think that's also what made him a good director. Because he knew, he knew as he was writing how he was going to direct. Yeah. He already knew sort of how he was even going to shoot a scene. Even though it, you know, it, was, it wasn't even in pre-production yet. But he had, he had a vision of how it was going to look even. As yeah. he was writing. Uh, just a few of the uh, names you threw out there before I wanted to sort of touch upon. So you mentioned Ron Howard there. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you think where was his, uh, did you say his first film? It was, a, it was a pilot. It was a, it was a television pilot. It was a, they were hoping it was going to become a series. 
Um, and um, yeah, I think he might have directed like a couple of Happy Days, but this was his first sort of foray into, you know, like a two hour or one hour, you know, um, basically a movie for television kind of thing. It was so a pilot. Where he'd come up as an actor, did he sort of seem ready baked as a director? Because yeah. it seems like he just. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, he definitely knew um, how what he was doing. There was never any. I mean, I've worked with first-time directors before. I worked with a couple of them, and um, and you know, you could tell at times that they would struggle or what, or they'd ask the like the director of photography, "What do you think?" And a lot of times, that you know, it'd actually be the cameraman who was sort of directing the scene because they were new at it. But you got to start somewhere, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> And uh, you mentioned Ted Danson there. I'm mean, obviously a huge fan. I think he's one of those amazing actors where it uh, almost seems like he isn't doing as much as he is, but it kind of comes through in the performance. Definitely, if, if that makes sense. No, totally makes sense. He's very he's very comfortable in his in his skin and whatever you know character he's playing. He completely immerses himself in it. You don't feel like he's straining in any way or or grasping for something. Or he just he just he owns it. He just owns it. I mean, watching back, we've been watching back Cheers recently, and Aww. just just to watch yeah. like him as the spine of that show, and everyone else is just these big characters, and he's he's quite subtle in it, you know. Well, this, you yeah. Know. Sometimes, well, you know, you the straight man sometimes is the funnier of the two. You look at Laurel and Hardy, and Laurel is really, you know, a lot funnier than Ollie in a way. But um, yeah, he he just yeah, he's subtle. Uh, we'll get back to a couple of names in a yeah. minute, but uh, I, I did want to, but we're here in a science fiction convention. I have yeah. to ask about the next generation that you did. Yeah. Uh, what was that like, uh, stepping to that show? Well, it was, um, I was talking about it a little bit yesterday. I mean, I, I was really honored to, to be, to do it. I, when I, when I went in for the audition, I actually, it was one of those where I walked out and I thought, hmm. I don't. I, I didn't feel like I had done what I thought I was going to do. I did something very different in the audition and whatever. Um, so it was one of those, and I thought, eh, I probably didn't get it. And then I got home, and on my answering machine, this is how long it was, um, I got the message that I got the job. So obviously whatever I did in the room worked. Um, but it's funny how that happens sometimes. You'll, I'll walk out of an audition and go, I nailed it, and I won't get the part. Or I think, oh, I totally blew it and I got the part, you know, so. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that, that I was dreading was getting into that suit. <laughs> it's like, all right, I'm not eating for an entire week. And uh, does my butt look fine? You know, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's a little um, concerning. All right. Those, right. I want to talk about your butt, but you look fantastic in it. Just <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you. No, please do. I, um, no. Well, it looked fantastic as okay. well. Okay. They, All right. <laughs> so. My job here is done. <laughs> and I was directly asked, honey, okay? Yes. She's sitting right there. She looks great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so to get back to wonderful people you work with, so Jerry Lewis. Is, uh, Actually, no, I didn't work with Jerry. I don't, there, oh. somebody, I mean, Jerry and my dad were very good friends, but that, that keeps coming up on an IMDb. IMDb yeah, I know, yeah, it keeps coming up and I keep saying, no, 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 I didn't, I didn't do that. Also, what comes up on IMDb is um, my dad's film, Days of Wine and Roses, has the little girl in it, and that wasn't me either. I think it's just they assumed, because I was the same age, that that was me, but it's not me. So, yeah. 
So, so your IMDb doesn't steer me wrong again. Uh, what, was there any of your dad's uh, films which you kind of popped up in? And yeah, oh yeah, no, we've not, we worked a, a lot together. Um, I I did Sob with him, mm-hmm. uh, Fine Mess, um, which was with Howie and Ted, a film called That's Life. I did a man, The Man Who Loved Women, yeah. um, and Sunset, Bruce Willis, Jimmy Garner. That, yeah, that yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I worked. Yeah, I, I did a few films with, with my dad. Uh, you mentioned Luckily. James Gardner again. I, I absolutely love him as well. Uh, again, one of those kind of actors who I think kind of like less is more, but they're so powerful on definitely, screen. Definitely, definitely. Just talk a bit about him. Again? Yeah, I well, yeah. He he was a he's a very um, he, he kind of embodies sort of this father figure thing with everybody. I think, and you you totally feel like you're being taken care of um, as a performer when you work with him. Like he he. He's really giving and a lot, lot like Holden. I think there's a there was a there was an era of leading men who just sort of they learned everything about their craft. They were respectful to their other fellow actors, and it just it. Was, I, I can't believe that we're sitting here in this hurricane. Yeah. <laughs> it's just bizarre. <laughs> I know. I'm waiting for the. For, yeah, yeah, you might have to move, dear. This is a sunny day for Southampton. You've not. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, yeah, he. I mean, my stepmother actually worked with him. One of her first movies was when they were in their like thir- early thirties, and she still she felt that way even then when she was working with Jimmy Garner. That even at thirty years old, he was had this sort of parental kind of you know, uh, secure, you could, you just wanted to kind of cuddle with him, you know, just a wonderful, wonderful human being on and off stage. Yeah. Uh, Burt Reynolds is not only worked with a couple yeah. times, I believe. No, I worked, uh, I only worked with Burt Reynolds once. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Uh, well, yeah, I think, yeah, I did only once. Man Who Loved Women. Mm. Yeah. Bert was fan- Bert was great. Bert, but Bert also is you know he's he was kind of a bad boy as well. He liked to make people laugh and you know and he he had this kind of girly laugh himself, which was just contagious. Yeah, it was he just he was a real prankster and so much fun. I I, I loved working with him. He was just a, a joy. Yeah. I've asked you about all these wonderful people you work with, but of course for yourself, I mean, what's your kind of approach to acting and like, how do you first look at a script? What's your kind of process for that? I'll I'll read through an entire script and then I'll sort of go back and I'll, I always like to have a secret that nobody knows about my character, you know, Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with what you're going to see. It's just my secret of that character, that character's secret. So it's kind of fun to know, you know, something in the back of your head that you can play with, you know, silly things like, you know, maybe she still sucks her thumb or something, you know, something that just is off a little, maybe possibly, you know, for me, my, my dad told me as I literally was, you know, about to get on the plane to go do Heidi, play Heidi. Um, he said, there are two things I want to tell you. Um, there's no such thing as acting. It's all reacting and to listen even if even if even if the other actor or whatever isn't speaking there's always something you're going to hear there's always something you're going to be aware of like a hurricane 
Um, <laughs> so and and seriously, at, even at ten years old, that made such sense to me, and um, to this day, it makes the most sense to me, because even you know, especially on stage, you know, I've done several plays and everything, you know, every night can be totally different. You know, if I was working with you and you you said a specific line one way last night, but it's different this night, then my line is going to probably sound different as well. So it's really so it's listening, really being Really present. listening and reacting. Because you the nuances are, are different all the time, you know. Great approach. Yeah. And uh, does that, so, you know, say we're working on stage, obviously it's, uh, it can be different every night. What's what's the kind of, uh, do, you, do you change your approach to stage work versus film? Yeah, I think you have to, to, to a degree, because a lot of times an audience will change it. Mm. You know, you know, an audience might laugh at something that you never thought was funny, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, you know, I guess it, it, it it played differently, so you might try that again. And um, so an audience can definitely change your performance a lot of the time. And, and as I said, you know, because you're doing the same thing each night, you know, another actor might not be feeling as well. And so you have to, you have to be able to accommodate um, at all times. An actor might go up on a line, just all of a sudden say something that... <laughs> isn't even in the script and then you have to be on your toes uh, i'd like to try and get a bit of advice from the uh, wonderful stars i'm uh, privileged to interview hopefully to help me out and, and my listeners uh, be better at things so okay. how about how how do you work on being present because that seems like such a big tool in your arsenal um well i think you know first of all you have to be you have to show up you have to be professional you have to you know, I have worked with people who are, you know, run late or whatever. And, you know, it's just not, it's not fair to everybody else. It's not fair to a crew. It's not fair to the other actors. It's, you know, and if you're not prepared, then you shouldn't be doing it. You know, you really have to, you know, be a professional. And I, I mean, I also like to just be quiet every day. I like to, you know, go inside, meditate and just get reconnected with, being alive, just breathing, you know, just, um, and that, that helps too. It helps kind of reset me in a way because I get, I get very consumed. I mean, I'm in, in America right now. It's, I mean, I, I just, I can't stop watching the news. It's just insanity. And I get very consumed with it and I get angry and I get scared and all of that. And so I have to, I have to diffuse myself because, um, yeah. It's the only way I can really reconnect. I think it's a mixture of things with that as well, because not only are there just such crazy events and on which side of things you are happening, but also the news amplifies it so much yeah. these days. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. It's hard to switch off from it. Yeah, it is. But it's also really, there's so many things that are so important right now. It's the, the environment and, you know, and I just, I just, it doesn't make sense to me when people say that or believe that there isn't climate change. I mean, it's like, it's obvious there's climate change. How can you, you know, but you can't argue with these people because they're so in, ingrained. I mean, as, as this hotel nearly blows away, I can't exactly. see any evidence. Nah, so just... no. <laughs> right? I mean, well, I just literally saw a pigeon 
was flying and then just went, yeah. I mean, just, just whisked off into space. You know, the only crazy. thing I say is if, if climate change is a hoax, they've got a very good budget behind them these days. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. uh, just quickly then, uh, just uh, for any uh, actors who are up and coming these days, what's your kind of advice for them as well? To keep practicing, keep, you know, don't always, there's always something that you can learn as an actor and, uh, and stay in class, you know, um, you, you know, you're not going to just all of a sudden learn to play the piano unless you rehearse and practice and read as much as you can, read as uh, uh, as many plays as you can, know what you're talking about. I mean, I, 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 I feel like a lot of young people want to be celebrities or stars or, or that kind of thing. And and it happens. It can happen. But if you really want to be an actor, you have to. You have to really train. You have to study. You have to put in the put in the work. You know, and um, and it, and you'll get rewarded. You know, do do uh, go into classes. Do scenes with other people. Just you know, get your feet wet. Try and do some stage. Get out there. Stage is really important, I think, for actors if they can do that, working with a real audience and stuff. Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you.